As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Well, thank you, as always, to the Norden Group. We were recording in St. George again, um, not in the van this time. Um, we found a, a spot where the audio quality will hopefully be a little better. Um, had an uh, amazing ride yesterday. Was that, that the, was that the Purple Girls? Yeah, we group? were with the Purple Girls. The Purple Girls. And they did a huge day, like a, like a day that would make anyone tired. Super, super impressive from all those guys. Yeah, I got a little bit of criticism. Maybe I planned a little bit too much for them, but you know what? They none of them died, so I think it was a success. Oh yeah, that's that's you know like you know, I think the benchmark for success is whether or not you know everybody makes it back from the ride, right? Exactly. Yeah, well, you know, uh, either way, a really good day yesterday. Uh, thanks to all of the coaches that came down, too. We had lots of uh, great support on on the ride there. Um, and thank you so much to the coaches. I think. I think now we can probably start just doing regular rides and coaches. If you're listening, I, I sent out that message in the coach channel on the coaches um, team snap channel thing um, to, so every week, just, just go into there, you know, kind of look at where the other people are riding, enter in that spreadsheet where you want to ride. And it's just so we can kind of, pay attention to where other people will be, you know, so we don't have like five groups all in shoreline. It just kind of helps spread things out. Um, but yeah, let's start doing at least, at least a couple of rides a week. You know, you can even do Saturday rides instead of one of the weekly rides. I'm going to leave it more up to the coaches this year to, to be responsible for that. Just make sure it happens and that we really take advantage of this super short season that we have. And, um, I am really hoping that we do as groups, we do more, Saturday rides throughout the entire season. You know, once NICA starts taking over, we continue. Because a lot of these groups, you know, have some riders that don't do NICA anymore. And then a lot of groups have like a combination of a bunch of different high school teams. So it's really fun to get them together. You know, so I really hope that we can um, keep it going more throughout the season this year than we have in previous years. You know, and I know some groups are really good at that, others aren't as much. But let's, I'd, It'd really make me happy to see a little bit more of that. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And and then the other thing is like I've had a bunch of people ask me about this, but like uh, there's a reason that we schedule people to ride in different places. That's because we don't want you know Maybird to go and overwhelm Corner Canyon and have 150 kids in Maybird kits totally clogging up the trails. You know, especially once things dry off and we have more options, we try to make it so that the team is spread out and isn't a huge burden to any single trail system. Right? Yeah. You know, but we can have a couple different groups in, in a place. We just don't want them all in one place. So, yeah, so so use that spreadsheet I send out. Um, 
it is just kind of in and get be creative too you know try writing different places different paths different starting at different locations and but yeah let's really really try and maximize this little bit of spring we get before the nika season starts so yeah yeah 100 percent. and we should say too um really good uh, uh performances by some maybird writers this weekend down in uh, arkansas we have uh, tate and isaac were down there right yeah i, I just really want to thank those guys and in their their families for taking them out there and representing us i mean that's quite a journey super cool place um and and it's just super super tough competition out there i mean they're racing against world class world class athletes you know yeah, it's as good to, as athletes get all, yeah. i mean short of going over to europe right you know like that's that's about as as intense as you can do on this continent and this race attracts some really really good talent so just to be there is a huge deal that they can look back on throughout their life and realize that they were able to compete on that level is just just an awesome awesome accomplishment so i mean basically against the best people in the western hemisphere yeah. Right. How many basketball athletes get to do? Well, I guess all basketball athletes. Um, what's a better example? Like how many like soccer athletes get to do that? If you play soccer to compete against the best in the Western hemisphere for your age group. Oh, that's true. Cause we only play basketball. I was going to say, like, basketball is like the worst example for that. <laughs> but, um, and, and your quiz really quick today. We want to dedicate all the, t- Dan has a really interesting topic today. Um, my, my quiz for you is, uh, who were the uh, elite men's and win- uh, women's uh, winners in Arkansas this weekend? Well, um, I know, I know Kate Courtney won. She won the short track, I believe. Oh, is that? Oh, I thought she won the cross country. Too. No, the cross, I think the cross country, and I'm, I'm going to check this now and then cut this because I feel stupid. Okay. So we've clarified there were like multiple cross country races, right? So we think, um, anyway, there was a really, really cool three up sprint between Kate Courtney, Sevilla Blunk and, uh, Gwendolyn Gibson, like all three of them bike throwing on the line at the same time. Um, which is always super entertaining. And Blunt came away with, you know, probably a tire width, which is kind of crazy. You know, it's, I always tell people like, that's why the little marginal things matter, you know, because how would you like to get to the end of a race where you got second by a tire width? So we know which one of those girls waxed their chains. Exactly. I'm pretty sure they all have waxed chains. I I have to shamefully say that I, I did not find time to wax my chain this week. Work was very busy, but I will be doing that project and updating you guys. So about chains, can I just say something really quick? Because I was actually super interested in Joe's last, um, podcast that he did about chains. So if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. Plugging ourselves. (laughs) But, um, so on, on my trainer, I have, you know, I have like my, my hardtail set up on a Wahoo kicker and I'm guilty of just reapplying lube yep. to it constantly. Yep. And, and it had a lot of lube. Oh yeah. And I was like, I was pushing and I was like pushing, I had it in erg mode and I had it set at a certain wattage and I, I got looking down my chain and it was just totally black and right. the pulley wheels were totally yep. covered. I'm like, Okay, I wonder. So I, I did a like a 15 minute interval, and I watched my heart rate at this given wattage, and I went and cleaned my chain, and did the same interval, a 15 minute interval, and my heart rate was about a beat or two lower on the second one where I had totally cleaned my chain, and and I didn't think I'd be able to like actually notice a, a difference in that was like somewhat documentable like that, but. It was kind of impressive, actually. Well, and I'd, I'd like to volunteer, too, that when you say you cleaned your chain, you probably barely cleaned no, your chain. No, I actually did a like, pretty good job. No, you you could, without, like, stripping it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you lube over I, lube over lube and no, you just I, wipe it off. Like, I wiped it off really good, and I re-lubed it. And, 
And I did notice a difference. Yeah. And I'm just saying like, you can, there's even more to be had than what you experienced there. You know, just wiping it is, is, you know, like, yeah. Anyway, we can, we can nerd out about chains later, but then do you, don't think too hard about who won the men's race. Chris Blevins. Chris Blevins, man. I've, I've, I've heard it was really impressive. Like just, you know, on a different level than everybody else. You know, I think spending time racing World Cups, um, you know, doesn't hurt when, when you, it comes to, you know, like making you a, a more strategic racer. So congratulations to them and all the Maybird riders and everyone else. Uh, Bentonville, man. It's a cool place. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, I don't think it's a fad. I think they're here to stay. No, and I, I really wish that that's where they would just always hold like the national championship and i think we'll get there before too long i saw that usa cycling just opened up a satellite office there and stuff so yeah i'll have to make it down one of these days huh yeah it's a cool place i'd like to go there just to ride not race but no there you go well we well i say we dan is going to talk about the three most important letters in cycling how's that what? Is that overselling it a little bit? No, I mean, it really is super important. We're, we're talking about FTP. And I do acknowledge that we have like two different types of people that listen to this this podcast. I've noticed we've had some people that are fairly new to cycling. Okay. Um, that really kind of like learning about the basics. And then we have like your nerds. Who know more than us. You know, that, yeah. that listen and probably critique. And, right. You know. Thank um, you for not sharing those. <laughs> You know, so I, I do kind of want to first start with kind of like the basics of FTP for, in, you know, in case someone that's fairly new to the sport is listening. And then we'll talk a little bit more about what it is. We'll dive a little deeper into it and, and talk about how to improve it. Um, which is, People talk about FTP all the time. Like I've, I, I remember conversations in NICA where it's like, what's your FTP? Well, my FTP is this, you know, like it's almost like a like a bragging thing for people in cycling. I think a lot of people like attach their self-worth to it, you know? Well, I, I think of FTP as like your ACT score or your IQ or right. your monthly net income or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, what I, say? I guess if you're, if your FTP is 250 and your IQ is the same, then you probably are smart enough to not ride bikes for fun, huh? Okay. <laughs> so well, so Joe, what, what's your understanding of FTP? Just, well, FTP, which stands for functional threshold power, the way I've explained it before is it is the average, the maximum average amount of power you are able to sustain for one hour. Mm. In theory, there's some huge caveats there when it comes yeah. to the real world. No, that's a good definition. It's basically in the most simplest terms for those that are new, it's your hour of power. Right. Lots of caveats there. Oh, yeah. Hour of power. That's yeah. By the yeah. textbook, that's what it's supposed to mean. Yeah. And it was, it was actually something... Um, it was developed by Dr. Andy Coggin, who's... De- oh, really? Yeah. No way. Okay. Yeah, who's developed a lot of the kind of training peak concepts that we use and, and kind of developed a lot of the nomenclature that we use in training today, you know? So. He, he's one of the greats. You should know that name. Yeah. We hear it all the time. Uh, <laughs> but really what it is, it's kind of a substitute for your, your MLSS, which is your maximum lactate steady state. And we'll talk about that in a second, but... Um, which is something you really have to kind of get tested in a lab, which not all of us can do. I mean, no. there's very few states even that have labs that can actually yeah. do blood lactate testing for cyclists, you know. Right. Um, you know, so it's just, so, so FTP was something he developed that like anyone that has access to, to power, you know. Which, which is very accessible these days. Yeah, like power meters aren't that expensive now and, and like people with, with 
wahoos and gym bikes and you can literally spend a couple hundred bucks or less and yeah. get power or you can yeah. go to the gym and those it's bikes have did. power and my then, highest ever ftp test was on a gym bike you know <laughs> um you know your wahoos your your stationary trainers have power you know so it's something that, that's pretty accessible and and it's kind of a substitute for testing your maximum lactate steady state but you don't need lab equipment to do it so right right all right, so, so your, your FTP, it's used to calibrate your training zones. Right. So, you know, and, and as your FTP increases, you'll, it just automatically kind of changes all your training zones. And it's kind of a cool, it's a cool little system, you know. And that way you're always, you can always progress and advance and, and your overload's progressive as you, you know, as you get better, you change your FTP number and everything else raises with it. So, um your FTP is actually a really good predictor of your performance. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, in some ways it almost is your performance, right? Like, you know, I mean, the most critical aspect of how you do in a race is how much power you produce, essentially. You know, a lot, lots of other things come into it, but if you have a race at the beginning of the year where your FTP is 200 watts and a race at the end of the year where your FTP is 250 watts, you're going faster at the end of the year. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, as, as your FTP gets higher, you're getting faster, basically. Right, um, right. But it's it's especially valuable when it's compared to your weight, you know. For like for instance, um, you know, a hundred ninety five pound rider would would have to produce two hundred and eighty watts to be equivalent to a hundred and fifty pound rider that would only have to produce two hundred watts. And run through those numbers again. That's shocking. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a, a number called Watts per kilogram, right. Watts per kilo. Right. Um, so 195 pound rider okay. has a 200, if, if they had a 280 watt FTP, which is okay. actually pretty decent for, yeah, an, that's, that's for really, an amateur yeah. cyclist. That's, that's really, good. That's really good. Yeah. It's not pro level, but that's nothing yeah. to be ashamed you're, of. You're kicking butt at ICOPS, you know? Yeah. Um, that puts you at three Watts per kilo. Okay. Okay. A 150-pound rider would only have to have a 200-watt FTP to have that same 3 watts per kilo. So 40 pounds of difference, 80 watts of difference. Did I do the math in my head right there? Um, right? No. Do you say 190 pound? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, 140 yeah, pound, yeah. Yeah, 40 so pounds difference. Watt, 80 watts is, like, 80 watts is the difference between, like, a varsity Nike winner and, like, a World Cup racer. Like, that's, you know, that's a that's a huge difference there. But the the thing that's, that's interesting, though, is the watts per kilo really is mostly important when it involves climbing or starting. Or becomes more important as the grade increases is probably exactly, the, the yeah. best way to say it. Because on a, on a flat road, those two riders, if they were racing each other, the, the, the one with the more watts, assuming that they have a good aero position or assuming they're somewhat aerodynamic, would would walk away from the other rider. Because on flat, yeah. watts are super more important. But yeah, when, just the raw watt number means more. You know, when, when climbing, the watts per kilo becomes right. more important, the steeper it gets. So really, really quick on watts per kilo. Here's a fun quiz question for you. What watts per kilo number was Lance Armstrong supposedly capable of for sustained periods when he was completely doped up at his height? So this is interesting. Wasn't it like seven? 6.8 watts okay. per kilo. Which, which is... is insane <laughs> so this is kind of a tangent but i okay. think you might find yeah which is interesting because no like 
now that the sport is supposedly cleaner, and I right. personally think it is, Joe doesn't. I think cleaner. I, I think cleaner. It's nowhere so near as dirty as it was in the inter- 90s. No, well, I disagree there because okay. because pretty much across the board, even the best of the best right now, their watts per kilo are about one watt per kilo less than. Oh, than really? And, and during the dope, the, like, the EPO mm-hmm. basically gave these riders an extra watt per kilo. That's insane. And, and nobody crazy. has those same numbers that they do back then. Really? Yeah. Even the best of the best now are about a watt per kilo slower than. Because I heard that Pogotro was supposedly creeping into the six watt per kilo territory or, or like Vingago, like those guys at the last tour are getting close. Yeah. But and I don't know. And I have pretty good. I I really don't think that 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 there's they're not doing EPO. No. I don't think they're blood doping in the same way that they used to. I think my and really this is such a tangent. I think, I think they're doing got, slightly illegal stuff. I don't, maybe that's not quite. Their this rules is where we're way off. I, so far off. I think that there's very good science in training these days, and these these people were born with really yes. awesome genetic gifts. Yes, that's my yeah. You know, and they have good diets and nutrition that's tuned in really well, and and so Fair yeah, it, I think yeah. It's we clean. agree it's it's at least I think much clean. cleaner than it used to be. Carry on, sorry. So, um, yeah, so that so I was thinking about it, like when you're riding at your threshold, um, and we'll explain what that actually means physiologically in just a second. But when you're riding at your threshold, you really kind of feel like, man, your legs just aren't strong enough to go harder like you know like um what is it really that that increases as your ftp increases that's interesting i don't i don't actually know it's just kind of like you just you're stronger you feel like the same amount of suffering the numbers higher i i don't know like it, i don't actually have and like i say that. to me it just feels like i'm just not strong enough like right like i just need more muscle in my legs or something but it's really it's really not that it's really really interesting um what it is involved that that increases your FTP. Um, how, like, intuitively, like, how would you go about increasing your FTP? Well, in my mind, like, I know that my FTP wanes and waxes throughout the year, and that as we get to the kind of the end of the summer, I feel like it's it's higher than it is in, you know, maybe February or March or something like that. In my mind, it kind of correlates to, like, the hours that I'm spending on the bike is probably the best stand in would be my guess but that's coming from somebody who doesn't really formally train anymore well, you know like I'm not I'm not looking at a plan on training peaks I'm just getting more time in writing more challenging stuff and that was actually a better answer than I was hoping for oh okay I thought you were going to say then expecting and I was going to cut this off real quick and have a word with you off 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 I was going to say off camera but we can't afford one of those yet you know I, I think that kind of intuitively a lot of people think that you know if you're trying to improve your FTP you should do more intervals and effort and spend more time at your FTP. Cause that would just kind of make sense. Right. Okay. That is intuitive. Right. Like just do FTP tests all year until it starts getting better. Right. Yeah. And you know, I mean, that would help, but, and, and that's actually part of it, but it's, Oh, was my answer too good? And I'm like, I was supposed to tee you up with a bad answer for a point we we're trying to make. You know, I was hoping you'd say, you know, gee, you just do 20 by two by twenties, you know, to, okay. to increase it. And, Whoops. You know, um, Such a pain being smarter than you thought. <laughs> but yeah, you, I mean, you would think that just spending more time at your threshold would raise your threshold. And like I say, it's, it's a part of it, but it's really not, really not how it works. Um, you can't just like, 
like isolate your FTP and try and raise it and everything else is going to increase at the same time. Right. You know, you just, it's not like, you know, it's not like working on your wheelie or something or your bunny hop or something, you know, it's, it's like if you're raising your FTP, that basically just means you're raising all of your fitness. You're, you're becoming a better cyclist. So really the best way to raise your FTP is to become a better cyclist. Yep. Is, so, is that it? There, there. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Talk to it. you guys next week. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, you know, we, we mentioned the FTP is a representation of your maximum lactate steady state. Um, let's talk about what MLSS is. And I, we've talked about this before, so this should be kind of review. And we're going to talk about even some of these items in more detail later as we run out of things to talk about in, in our episodes. But um, so... So when you're in zone two, you're primarily using slow twitch muscles, your type one muscles. And if you're truly in zone two, you are primarily almost exclusively burning fat. And when you're, when you're burning fat and you, you only burn fat in the mitochondria and when you're using fat as a fuel, it creates like no byproducts. It's very clean and efficient. Um, as your demand for force increases and you start getting into your, we'll say your zone three and four, um, you start to use glycogen and, and glucose, but you use it aerobically. You know, it converts into pyruvate. And, but anytime you're using glucose as a fuel, lactate is always going to be a byproduct. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's almost like, like, like uh like comparing like a tesla to like a big jacked up truck where there's like smoke and stuff coming out and all kinds of heat and whatever like it's just a less efficient process even though you're getting maybe more more power out of it yeah yeah um, engineers please don't no. please just like it's i'm it's a metaphor i'm you know trying to you know i just didn't realize there's like so there's there's fewer byproducts at lower intensities of writing yeah when you're when you're when you're using fat as a fuel okay at zone two yeah, there's, there's basically no byproducts. Once you start using, once the, the, the power demands increase and you start using glucose, there, you know, lactate is a byproduct. No, this byproduct, it's not a waste product. It's a really actually very, very useful thing because our mitochondria can take this, this lactate that our muscles produce and it reuses it as a very actually potent fuel. And, um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's actually a really, really good fuel. So it's kind of cool. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll use the, we'll use the glycogen and the glucose and it, it produces lactate as a byproduct, but we can reuse that as fuel. And, and that's something that like professional riders are very, very good at is reusing the lactate as fuel. Now, as you're, um, as the intensity increases, you, you're, you basically reach a point where your mitochondria aren't capable of using all the lactate that's being produced. And, and so what happens is that lactate, it isn't local anymore. It doesn't stay within the local muscles. It starts to go into the bloodstream and it gets to a point where you're producing more lactate than then you can clear. Then right? you can clear. Is, is what I've heard before. Okay. Yeah, and there's hydrogen ions that are associated with the lactate that cause your muscles to become acidic, and once you're producing more lactate than you can clear, 
all of a sudden you start like rather than being able to hold your power for an hour you're down to just a few minutes once you kind of cross this threshold so it's a super important point and and when you're riding at this point you can kind of feel it like yeah you just feel and like i said i said this before but you just feel like you aren't strong enough to go much harder yeah there's not like if, if a bear started chasing you well you no you, go you could you could for but we're talking you it's just this point where you just kind of know you're kind of at a bit of a limit that that it's just not sustainable and you would need to get stronger to to do more um so so what what changes as your threshold is your is your ftp or your mlss increases like in your body yeah so i don't i don't know i can't even like approximate an answer to that it's not like your lungs get bigger or your i mean does your heart get more efficient like i is is it that your proportion of muscle fibers changes or something well the answer is there's a lot of things that happen a lot of things are combined that that make that better which is just what training does you know but we were so when we were at vell lake um little Andy Agar, who's just kind of a local celebrity, she's going to be like a World Cup pro yeah. someday. Super. Really, really, truly. Yeah. And and I heard some people talking about her. She, so she was at like a, did a short track race there at Vail Lake and for some reason kind of started mid-pack at I the back. I was watching this, and, yeah. Started and, way back. And <clears throat> was just able to just blow by people. And yeah. I heard people talking about her like, and, and people were saying that like, we're, we're basically saying that she's fast because she's so small and right. so skinny. And I'm like, no, that's no. not true. Because I know people her size that probably couldn't even pick up a bike yeah. or punch their way out of a wet paper bag or something. Yeah. Let alone go and crush a national level race. You know, but she could probably kick my butt in a fight if she wanted to. She's really, really strong. There's right. more to her being fast than just being small. Right. Because there's people that were like twice her size that are. Well, I was saying, I was saying like being small is, isn't necessarily even helpful at all in a short track. I think she's fast in spite of the fact that she's small. Like being small helps you climb big Cottonwood Canyon faster. It does not help you in a flat time trial. Like people think that cyclists have to be small and a certain type of cyclist has to be small. Like if you want to win the Mauvon 2 stage of the tour, you probably have to be kind of small unless you're Wild Van Aert, but you know. And I said to these, you know, I said to these kids that we're talking about, I'm like, you know what? There's, there's a lot going inside there that makes her that fast. Right. You know, and, and so some things involved that with, with increasing your FTP, you know, physiologically, well, first is, you know, kind of the VO2 max related items, you know, like your blood volume, your, your stroke volume, um, your capillary density, your, you know, basically the, the ability to, to deliver oxygen to your muscles and throughout your body. Um, that's huge. And that, that can kind of be somewhat of a limiter. Um, so that's part of it. Another part of it's just kind of your, your muscles, you know, like your, your fiber type distribution. We've talked about like how, as you train more, you kind of convert more of your muscles to type one slow twitch muscle fibers, which are better, which have more mitochondria are better using oxygen and fat as fuel. And another huge part about our muscles is in, you know, an, an advantage that a lot of the pros have is, is their ability to store and use large amounts of glycogen. That's something that improves is, you know, is, is our FTP increases, but probably the most important part is, is our mitochondrial function. 
Um, one of them is, you know, is, is we have good mitochondrial function. We're able to really use fat efficiently as fuel. Now, professional riders have impressive FTPs, but I think what's more impressive about professional riders is they have impressive zone twos. Right, right. Especially like, like the road riders and stuff where they just kind of have to live at zone two for four or five hours a day, you know, like in, when they're racing. Well, even like the mountain bike riders can have an impressive zone two, you know, in, in their training and so forth, you know. Um, because, yeah, they can, like a professional rider can just cruise around at 300 watts like all day the long. The same way you were, I would cruise around at 150, right? Yeah, they can cruise around there all day long and they're they're using fat as fuel, they're they're producing very little excess lactate. You know, that's, that's what I think is impressive. And then, you know, they're obviously their FTP is just going to be a little bit above that and be really super high, you know? So, um, so yeah, the ability to use fat as fuel is actually an important factor in having a high FTP. Um, the ability to use lactate as fuel as fuel is huge. So Dr. Inigo San Milan, he said that lactate, and I'm quoting him, lactate production at a given power output is the main predictor of talent. Hmm. Talent, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so professional riders, so on our mitochondria, we have what's called their MCT1 transporters, which basically allow lactate to re-enter the mitochondria and use them as fuel. And and some of the world-class riders have large amounts of these MCT1 transporters on their lactate or on their mitochondria, so their mitochondria is able to absorb to reuse large amounts of lactate. Is that something you're born with? It's actually an epigenetic trait. Really? That so so these people like they have it, but it really doesn't get expressed unless they do lots and lots of training. Oh, interesting. Is uh, this something all pros have? Or just it's a, probably yeah. most of them? Well, the best of them, yeah. It's a common trait that, that a lot of the pros have. And, and and it's something that training will develop for us, too, as well. You know, so, um, <clears throat> so, so, yeah, the ability to be able to reuse lactate as a fuel is just, you know, is one of the main, probably one of the main things that's going to help increase our FTP. All right, so now let's just talk about how we actually raise our FTP. Now, I know a lot of people are trying to sell like these magic workouts that are going to raise your FTP, which I think is a little silly that you right. can just raise your FTP and not everything else. Right. Basically, you raise your FTP by getting more fit. Right. You know, which sounds simplistic, but that that's the truth. Yeah, that's basically yeah. So, but let's talk about it. So, first off, in my opinion. Ultimately, the most important thing is is lots of zone two work. I we've talked about zone two work before. We're going to talk about it again. It's it's basically I would compare zone two work as like investing in your four hundred one k and saving year after year after year, and eventually you start to accumulate all this wealth, and you have to then you you get the Norden Group to invest it for you or whatever. But nice little plug down. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's kind of the slow but steady, but where you would get deeply wealthy type right. work, you know. Um, 
you know, a lot of the high intensity stuff I kind of think is like, that's getting like a second job as like an Uber driver or something. You know, you get this little extra bit of money on top of what you already got. But the, the zone two work is the slow, steady year over year that accumulates. Um, so zone two work is, is the most important type of work we can do to encourage like healthy mitochondria function, because that's where our mitochondria is working at its peak. Um, it's, it's also where we have the maximum fat oxidation. You know, once you get above zone two, you, you know, you start to use more carbohydrates and, and use less fat. And then, and that gradually goes down until you kind of reach your VO2 max. Um, so your maximum fat oxidation is, is at zone two, which, you know, in the past I've kind of said before, like, and this is something that I, you know, how you sometimes disagree with things you've said in the past, you know, in the past, (laughs) in the past I've said before, you know, if you have less than two hours to do a zone two ride, you know, make it harder because, you know, you're really not getting the fiber type distribution benefit that you get from a long ride. But I'm, I'm realizing that, um, I think even if you're time crunched, I still think it's important to keep your zone two rides at zone two. Interesting. Even if you only have an hour, because you're really at that point, you're maximizing your fat oxidation. Hmm. So is it, it's, it's, are you saying it's like you may as well, because the benefits will be about the same for lower fatigue or are there well, benefits that you're, you're actually oxidizing less fat if you go over that point? Interesting. You know, so I'm like, you know, maybe there is a benefit of, of actually, even if you are time crunched, keeping it at zone two. All, all, if you, if you are super time crunched and all of your rides like that, should all of them be at zone two no, or just make sure you do Cause we, we're big fans of polarizing, right? you know, um, you know, so two rides a week are going to be intense and the rest are going to be hmm. zone two. But, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, could have told me that earlier when I was time crunched for four years. <laughs> Yeah, so um, an interesting thing too to point out that I've I've recently learned from from reading um, Dr. Sandmalan's stuff is that if you uh, like when when lactate is present in your system, it actually reduces fat oxidation. And so, like if you're doing a ride and you don't dis, like you're not disciplined with intensity, you know it'll raise your lactate levels, which reduces your fat oxidation, and and that stays like elevated for about 15 minutes or so. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just kind of another important reason to, hmm. to control your intensity on your, your zone two rides, which I thought was interesting. And then, you know, the two times a week when it's time to go hard, yeah, you go hard, but but zone two is just, it's really where we develop better mitochondria function. And I have an analogy I was thinking about on my bike ride yesterday. Okay. That, kind of like your your zone two work is like say you've got like this enormous building or whatever that you need to change a light bulb at the top you know and so first you set up all the scaffolding and the more scaffolding you get set up the higher you can reach you know um once you set up all the scaffolding you can set up you know this isn't osho approved okay on top of that (laughs) scaffolding you can set up a ladder Right. Which is going to get even higher, 
you know, but the higher your scaffolding is, the higher that ladder is going to be because it's kind of like the base that you create higher. And then, you know, and that, that scaffolding is kind of like your zone too, you know, and the, the higher you can get that, you know, that ladder is going to get you that next extra bit. And that, that next extra bit I, I kind of think is, is kind of more your, your, your glycolytic type, you know, your, your zone three and four type, type work where it's more, it's still aerobic, but it's more glycolytic. And then, um, and then once you're on top of the ladder, you know, you can like have a pole that you can reach up to, you know, to, to change the light bulb or whatever. And that's, that's more kind of your, your anaerobic type contribution or your VO2 max type, type efforts. But, but the point is, is the higher that scaffolding is, it gets you closer to a really high FTP, you know, um, and, and so that's why zone two is, is just a critical part. Like having a high zone two is critical towards having a high FTP. You know, you can't have a lows. You can't detach those two. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so zone two training, we probably can't talk about it enough. It's just right. super important and often neglected by most. You're looking real hard at me right now, Dan. Well, but by my, by most youth athletes, you know, they just kind of think, you it's know, not, it's, it's not fun. If I'm going faster and harder, I'm getting faster. I'm like, that's true if it's right. within the right framework. Yeah. So, so that's it. So, so next is, is VO2 max training is super important, increasing your FTP. And quite simply, it's because, you know, the, the, the most simple way I can put it is you, you can't have an FTP that's higher than your VO2 max. You know, you have like to. Like definitionally. You can, yeah, right? it's impossible. You have to really maximize your your vo2 capabilities in order to increase your ftp you know to to a certain point i almost consider it like like you know how like i've heard like a goldfish in a fishbowl is only going to get so big but if you put that goldfish in like a bigger tank it's going to get bigger and so you know so improving your vo2 max and 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 that part of your fitness basically gives your your FTP more room to grow. So okay. pretty simple. Um, and then, and then sweet spot. We, we've talked about sweet spot before and sweet spot. We, we talked about, I remember when we did like our trainer episode, I thought we came up with something brilliant, you know, sweet spot is just barely below your estimated FTP. And you're, you're really using the same metabolic systems. You're just using them slower, but you're, you're still getting similar adaptations. You, you can just, but the, the magic of it is you can spend more time there. And we kind of, we kind of just decided that like the reason that FTP is, or that sweet spot is so good is it's probably actually a more accurate estimation of your FTP because most people's FTPs are overstated. Yeah, we, and there's so many reasons for that. I don't know if you wanted to get into that, but like very few people actually test for an hour. Most of the tests for your FTP are 20 minutes or eight minutes or whatever if it's a ramp test. Like, um, you know, like I, yeah, basically like remember with FTP that most people aren't actually capable of producing that number for an hour. That's probably kind of rare. Which is, yeah, and that's a really good point you bring up because really um, we talked about FTP is just kind of representing our maximum lactate steady state, right. which is the point that, you know, the point that you're producing more lactate than you're able to, to use, to utilize. Um, and, 
that doesn't necessarily like if you're writing it, like if you're in a lab and you're able to figure out exactly what that point is and then try to write at that point, you may or may not be able to write it that for an hour. The hour right. number is not that important really. Um, for some people that for beginner athletes, that might only be 30 minutes and there's some people it might be an hour and 15 minutes, you know? Um, so the hour itself isn't, it's just kind of arbitrary. There's nothing that magical about it, but it's, it's a good estimation of that. But, but I do think most people have overestimated their FTP. In fact, like if you do a 20 minute FTP effort and it just destroys you, it probably was higher than your actual FTP. Yeah. Cause I could go and monster a 20 minute FTP test in high school and get a number that there's just no way I could ever recreate for an hour. Or, and, and we should say that you do that 20 minute test. And then in theory, you take like 95% of that number is your FTP really truthfully. It's probably like 80% of that number or something way less generous that like, I remember like, you know, in high school, like 329 Watts for 20 minutes. And then we we're like, Oh, your FTP is like 320 Watts. There's, it just wasn't, you know? So that's why, that's why I like sweet spot so much because it's, it's, it might be a more accurate representation of what your actual FTP is. So Joe and I call that our functional functional threshold power. It's a really fun, cool joke for cool people. Yeah. And I came up with that, by the way, I want credit for that. So yeah, your sweet spots, your functional functional FTP. Wait, that was like, so that was FFFTP. Your FFFTP. But the important thing about training here is this is where you are, you're training at the maximum amount of lactate your body can process. So when you're doing zone two, you're kind of creating the equipment like those MCT one transporters. You're, you're developing those that you're, that can process more lactate. When you're training at sweet spot, you're testing that out and, and processing, you're testing those out and processing as much lactate as, as you can. So combining those two is, is super important. Um, so yeah, no, no actual FTP training, like actually training at your FTP. I've played around with it a little bit before and I honestly haven't found people do better with that than sweet spot. Um, it's just kind of more uncomfortable and, and you know, not, not a whole lot more effective. You know, I think it's good to throw a little bit in, but, but it, you know, it's, it's really kind of an uncomfortable place to train. So, um, so Joe, what, what do you think is more important when you're, if you're trying to improve your FTP, do you think increasing the amount of power you're training at for that 20 or 30 or whatever minutes you're doing or stretching out the duration is more important? So put another way, if you're doing 200 watts at your FTP now, making it so you can do 220 watts at your FTP or making it so you can do 200 watts for an hour and a half, right? Like, yeah, okay, do you want to, do you want to like increase our power, or increase the time? I don't, I don't think you can detach those two. I don't like, you can't train my, the intuitive answer in my mind seems to be that like, if you could choose between one or the other, maybe the amount of time would be more beneficial, but I don't really think it works that way. Does it? Well, it, it really does. And, and actually increasing the amount of time is, is really a better way to look at it than, than bumping up your power. Interesting. Um, because well, like an example is, so I can actually produce the same amount of power as a pro Peloton rider. Right. 
The difference is for five seconds, I can't do it for very long. Right. Yeah. And they can do it for hours and hours and hours. Right. Um, and I also weigh quite a bit more too. So that kind of throws it off, but yeah, I can produce that same amount of power. I just can't do it for very long. And our bodies can actually adapt better to increasing the duration than they can to increasing the power. So Hmm. for instance, you know, like if you're doing 30 by thirties, you know, and say you're doing like your 30 by thirties at, you know, we'll just say 250 Watts. Okay. It's easier to add one more set of 30, 30 by thirties on than bumping everything up to 260 Watts. And right. Doing the same, you know, right, right, right. it's always easier just to add a little bit more time. And so, so that's one of the, the, the keys. Cause a lot of people, their FTP really isn't the problem. It's their time to exhaustion. That's kind of the problem. Yeah. Like very, very few people listening here could hold their MLSS or their FTP for an hour, you know? And if you could, it's psychologically devastating. It's not something that like you should be like, if you're, uh, if you've got a kid or if you coach, like don't encourage that. It's really, really hard, you know, mentally to do that. Yeah. So, so when we're doing these, the, the point I'm trying to get at is, is adding time, not adding power to what we're training our FTP at is, is probably going to be more beneficial to most people. And then eventually you'll get to a point where it, it naturally increases, you know, you can retest right. and, and it increases, but, um, but yeah, so, so adding time is adding time and zone is the key. So, you know, typically if you're doing intervals that are specifically designed to, um, to increase your FTP, they need to be longer than 10 minutes is usually about the shortest. And, and you would just want to kind of design the workout. So you're gradually spending more time like you could do. And there's just a billion different ways to, you know, you could do two by twenties and then change it to two by 25s or, you know, three by tens or four by tens and just keep adding more and more time. So eventually, you know, during that workout, you're doing a full hour or so at your FTP, but broken up with little small rests to, to make it manageable. Um, but you're just gradually adding more and more and more time at that. So your, your time to exhaustion could ultimately become an hour and your body's going to adapt to that quicker than it is actually just adding a little bit more power to that. And, you know, and after you do that, you know, when you, when you retest, you'll get a higher FTP and, um, you know, but that's, that's mostly when you're specifically trying to do like sweet spot or FTP type training too. But those are just kind of part of it, you know, so, so kind of just to wrap things up really, you know, for the, for the most part, specifically trying to just do intervals at FTP is only a part of it. Right. Really everything we've talked about in this podcast up till now is it's going to increase, is going FTP. to increase your yeah. FTP, you know, whether it's zone two, whether it's racing more, but it, it's all kind of funny how like every time we talk, it, it kind of just comes down to writing more. Yep. You know, I mean, so that's this whole podcast. Never I mean, listen to another episode. Anymore. I know. Yeah. I'm like, I just come up with all these big long winded ways to encourage people to get out and ride their bikes more, you know, cause that's really what's going to increase your FTP. You know, there's no, there's not really some magical interval out Despite there. Despite what the GCN video says, 
it's probably not how it works. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just, just what are those three things that I think are super important? You know, just, just more volume, you know, distributing your intensity more accurately and in, in making sure you're getting enough recovery. And, you know, if you do those things and you just sweet and yeah. simple truths, right? Yeah. You know, it just, yeah, there's nothing that magical. I wish there was because, because then I could sell something, but if, the, if it's, it's, if it's being sold to you with a 10% coupon, it's probably not, you know, legit. Right. So, so yeah, go out, ride more, discipline your intensity, have fun. And yeah. And if you have any questions or you know where to send them folks do we have a magic word for today sure uh, the magic word is fireplace okay that was creative <laughs> well you know most of mine are <laughs> thanks guys